So let's read in Acts 20, and then we'll get started. And I want to read starting uh, verse 17 and verse through verse 21. This is Paul's farewell address to the Ephesians. And by the way, I have never taught on this passage. This passage has always driven everything I do in ministry. This passage, hard to believe that. But I've never taught on it. I've shared the vision of it with lots of people. But I've never taught on it. So you're getting a special taste of where my heart burns. Starting verse 17, he says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called in all the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set forth in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came on me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as I say, it's important to learn to listen. And as some of you know, I'm a big student of Tozer, and I really like old authors. I have some books written from the 1800s and older because the depth of what they knew about God was phenomenal. They had time for him. And we don't make much time for him. And one of the verses, as being a student of Tozer's works, there's a verse after spending years in his works, there was a verse I kept seeing all the time. And I don't ever see that on other authors. But the verse comes out of the book of Job. And you think, oh, there's nothing good out of the book of Job. But Job 22, verse 21. In the King James, it reads this way. Acquaint thyself now with him and be at rest. New American Standard says, uh, I think my wife was reading it to me this morning. Um, know him del- uh, know him del- intimately like a man with a woman and as I meditate on that verse and this, this is a good capstone verse for all of this that acquaint means a relationship I like that we have a relationship with the living God an acquaint There's three aspects of acquainting. You have to listen to him, even if it hurts. It's been a hard week preparing a new sermon. I thought, oh, I have this done. It's two weeks ahead of time. That's hard. And then the second aspect of that acquaint is lingering before him, as Joshua did when he left the tabernacle. See, we don't linger before God. We don't know how to do that. My wife asked me, what am I going to do? I'm going to go walk and talk to the Lord and listen. I spend a lot of time walking. I have a lot to learn. 
I lingered for his throne a lot. And you'll hear some reasons why. And the third thing, these all start with L, is leaning forward in obedience. The Song of Solomon says in chapter 1, verse 4, Draw me after me, draw me after thee, so that I, we would run together. The hardest way to run is going uphill together. It's easy to run together when it's downhill, and it's easy to run together when it's flat. The hardest place to run together is uphill. And so we want to lean forward. That's what they teach you in track and field and cross country. You've got to lean into the hill. You don't fight it. You lean into it. And that's my perspective. We all know the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples on all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Now that sounds like a great verse. That is given to all of us, not just the elders, the whole church. Well, years ago, when I was working on my doctorate at the University of Texas at Austin, I had one course to go. I had my dissertation to finish. And God said, go somewhere else. Wow. You know, we never know what he means by that. But I knew he wanted me to go somewhere else. So I sent out letters to schools. I got offers for some of the best of them. But then I heard back from one. Sometimes I wish I'd never heard from them. Wisconsin, well, you have a good school right down the road from you at Texas A&M. Well, being raised as a Texas Longhorn, and if you know the animosity that was between those parties, that's like going to the ends of the earth. (laughs) And it was. At that time, it was no women, very military, a very hard place. So I went. And when I got there, I found out why. Campus Crusade had been on the campus and been kicked off by the religious folks. There was no one sharing the gospel. So as a graduate student working on his PhD, that's what I began doing. And as I saw men come and women come to Christ, I built a, we built a crusade ministry by the grace of God, with his power, as graduate students and undergraduates. And most of those men and women in that went into full-time ministry. It was a discipleship-based ministry. And so when I went into the pulpit, I always told the rest of the men at my first church, well, we want you to be in the pulpit full-time. I says, I'm not going to do that. I want to have time with the men that I can disciple. I want to share that pulpit. I'm not out to be the only voice. I don't have the gifts that everybody needs. And so the other two elders, they, I forced them in the pulpit. So I believe strongly in discipleship. 
And if you go to Acts 19, and we're not going to go there, we know Paul was in Ephesus for three years. Three years. He was sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel. We know he was teaching. He started a school of Tyrannius. He was teaching the disciples there in that school. He was confronting the enemy in that big commercial center of Ephesus. And he had an impact on the community. They burned all their magic books. See, that's what the church is about, affecting the community. This church has a unique possibility of affecting the whole community. But it can't, pastor can't do it. One man can't do it. We all have to do it and go with the plan God has for us. And there were miracles around what Paul did. And so Paul, in this passage in Acts 20, he just records the history of what he did with them. He reminded them what he did. He doesn't talk about what troubles are going to go through. That's how come we stopped at verse 21. And so there's an acronym, and that's the letters A-S-S-E-T, asset. I like things that are simple to remember. When I used to meet with, uh, and I still do, when I meet with some men, I said, well, we're going to meet at 113. What? 113? What's magic? You won't forget it. <laughs> if I said 2 o'clock or 1 o'clock, they would forget. Oh, I had a, I've had a lot of appointments at 1. They all run together. I never did that. And my students said, oh, your test is due at 217. They, they couldn't get it, but they realized what I was doing. I'm trying to get them to remember quickly, easily. And so I, I like acronyms. And so this acronym here has five aspects. There's an acronym given by Jesus when he chose his 12 disciples. He's, and they're all AAA. They were to accompany him. They were to be ambassadors. And they would have authority. And so Paul has something similar. He expands quite a bit what Jesus' message was to his disciples. So the first one, verse 18, is association. With three years with him, he spent time with them one-on-one. He spent time on small groups. He spent time with them in church. He spent time with them. That's what association takes. It takes time. And a lot of times, it's best not to be in the church building. It's best to be other places. Some of the men and families that were in our church, or a couple of churches I've been, I would drop in unannounced. You don't do that much anymore, but I still do. I didn't want any fronts. I want to see them how they really are. I want them to feel company, comfortable about sharing what they're struggling with. Being honest. Ask, how can I help? How can I pray? And I believe in the power of prayer changing lives one-on-one. And so as you do that, you observe and pray for them. You notice their gifts, their challenges. You associate with them. But you're not the key associate they're going to have all the time. There comes a time you've got to release that inner individual. That's one of the things I liked about college ministry. 
I only have three or four years or less. I've got to release them. They had to be at a certain place. And so I like that. Association. Now, if you go through and study in Acts, Paul had his associates he took with him. He took Barnabas, he and Barnabas went out. He had John Mark go with him. And you remember the story about John Mark in Acts? He left him. He deserted him. Silas went with him. There were Silas and Timothy, Priscilla and Aquila. There are seven other people listed in Acts 20. Paul didn't go alone. He took people with him. I like to go kayaking with my sons on rivers in Virginia, the Shenandoah River, because we're one-on-one, and we can get to any topic quickly, and they feel comfortable. And that's what you have to be if you're interested in making disciples. And your most important disciples are your kids. They're your kids. And I have a lot of spiritual children. A lot. But my most important ones are my own kids. And it comes to a point that you want to... I tell my kids, I want you so well grounded in Christ so that when I'm gone, you have no one else to depend upon but God himself. And that's my goal. That's an inheritance. So association, that's the first part of the, the puzzle. The second is serving. And Paul shares here very clearly, he served with all humility. He was serving for the Lord. He was serving for the edification of the saints. He was not serving for self. And it's so easy to serve for self. And one of the reasons I never wanted to be in the pulpit all the time, I would be a prime candidate for pride, get me. I can't go that way. I need to be able to share that. I need to see others develop their gifts. And that's what the body of Christ is, developing the gifts. Now, my gift's not in helps, as you might imagine. I can help. My wife knows I help. But that's not my prime gift. So serving. And Paul was not bragging, but he was trying to inspire them to remember his example. I had a guy... When I was at AM, I had just come off my first Campus Crusade conference in Los out in California. And so here I was on a campus just learning to share my faith and not ex- extremely strong in my understanding of the scriptures. But there was a guy at the University of Texas that was a crusade staff, and he would come up once a month and go with me. And we would visit on the campus, sharing the Lord, building them in the Word. He's now deceased. But he was my key disciple. And the first time I ever heard him, he was teaching out of Daniel. And so, boy, did my life change. Out of Daniel. Never heard teaching like that. 
And the second thing is tells you about Paul serving. He was serving with tears. There's tears for those who won't pay the cost of being a disciple. There's tears for those who won't flee the sin that they're engrossed in. There's tears for those who destroy the name of Christ. Tears are a plenty in discipleship, but the joy is worth it. Two difficult situations I remember I'll share quickly were two men that were wives who had filed divorce papers on. One was in my small group. They had hid it. I can't believe they hid it, but they hid it. Nobody knew. And there was no way to save it. The guy moved to Texas, and she remarried again and again. Sad situation. But the other guy, he had two or three people around him. He called in that night late. We prayed with him that night, and we prayed for him for the next month. God healed that marriage. That's what discipleship about. Is being able to call at a moment's notice. I need encouragement. I need to know what God's perspective is. And the other way Paul was serving is with trials. There are trials to stop our voice, stop God's voice for Christ. There are trials to discourage us. But God is always with us, fear not. Be faithful. At one of the schools I was at, one of the first schools I went to after graduating from Texas A&M, I did graduate. I had a good position. I was involved in the ministry there, helping the crusade ministry. It wasn't—I never was a crusade staff. I ran with the runners, the college runners ministering there and on that among the athletes. And this university decided not to ever renew my license, my position there. They did not want me sharing my testimony in class. Now I could have that's years ago, I could have filed suit and won it. But God has something better. He always has something better. And there are tears. There are trials. But that's part of it. When we get on the other side, we're going to see the great joys that we have. The next, S, is shrink not. Verses 20 and 27. Shrink not from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Shrink not from declaring the full counsel of God. We cannot be afraid of declaring the full counsel of God. And this word shrink not, it means to draw back. It's a metaphor for lowering the sail and slackening the course. 
That's what it is, a metaphor for that. Shrink not from declaring anything that's profitable. Well, a lot of people want us to preach and teach about happiness. No, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be preaching and teaching about holiness, not happiness. Tozer says once in one of his books, the doctrine of men's inalienable right to happiness is anti-God and anti-Christ. And that exhibits our culture today. Declaring the whole purpose of God. One of the places I was preaching, there were several couples who did not want me to preach out of the Old Testament. Can you believe that? Psalms, all right, not convicting. Don't preach out of the Old Testament. There's no mercy there. Oh, there is mercy there. There's lots of mercy in the Old Testament. It's filled with mercy. But they did not have the eyes to see it. So, of course, I didn't obey that request. Shrink not from declaring the truth. I know there was one time, this was involved in the college ministry, I had a lot of athletes who was ministering, sharing the word, teaching. And a quarterback, for this, if I mentioned the school, you'd recognize him quickly. Uh, the quarterback came to the, the Bible study I was leading among the men, young men. And he was denying the faith. Supposed to be a believer, but he was denying the faith by his actions and everything. And it was so out front and for the guys. I says, I don't like doing this, but I've done it before. I'm going to pray that you lose the next two games. And they did. And the guys recognized quickly the power of prayer. It was hurting the name of Christ. You don't put up with that. You bind it. Evangelism. Paul had evangelism, both Jews and Greeks, two people groups. I had two people groups at AM, the core and the regular students. They were very different. They may not be as different now with the ladies on campus, but they were different then. And I love. Look at verse 24 here in this Acts portion. I love this definition of the gospel. The gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God. That is so rich. Our God is a God of grace. And the gospel is that grace. But one of the things I think in evangelism these days, we do not realize how great the darkness is. Now, we know it in a lot of what's happened lately, but that's been underpinning for a long time. And so as a, as a statistics professor, 
and spending a lot of time in war, I develop an area of apologetics I call statistical apologetics. I can take any topic in statistics and share the gospel because it's recorded in the scriptures. Go to Daniel. The first experiment ever done there is chapter 1 and 2 of the book of Daniel. Forecasting, going in Genesis. Outliers, go to Genesis. Numbers, sampling. The scriptures are filled with the seeds of statistical concepts. And so when I would teach a course, I would share something on one of those things. Not too much, just to give them a taste. And so I call it statistical apologetics. And the first president of the Dallas Seminary, named Schaefer, Bush Schaefer, he wrote a book. Not many people are familiar with it. I have it on my shelf. He says, true evangelism is prayer. True evangelism is prayer. That's work that requires time, that requires having the eyes to see. And one of the passages I really love is when the widow of Nain is walking out with the funeral barrel, pyre, walking out, and Jesus meets him at the, meets him at the edge of the city. The scripture says, Jesus saw her and had compassion. He saw her. We don't see that way. We see, oh, that's a hindrance. I'll pass on. I got something else to do. Pass it on. Jesus saw with compassion. Remember, evangelism is a process with the Holy Spirit. There's sowing and reaping, and you never know what's going to be. Let me give an example of that. Well, I was at a big school. I had a large graduate class. They were in the Washington, D.C. area. A lot of military people in the classes. They were working on their advanced degrees. There was a guy by the name of Rick, Navy navigator. And I shared one of my statistical apologetics. And just a real quickie, I said, what's the probability of 10 prophecies about Christ being true if they're all independent? So I worked up the numbers, and it was 1 over 10 to the 17th power. Now, that didn't mean anything to you, but the visualization of that is like taking the state of Texas, covering it with silver dollars, two feet deep, and randomly choosing one. But let's make it more humongous. Let's take 20 prophecies. And that's 1 over 10 to the 47th power. That's taking silver dollars from the earth to the sun, 30 times that distance, randomly choosing 1. See, what I am doing with apologetics is what Ecclesiastes calls a goad. I want to prod people to think about where they're at in a different way. A goad. It's what we call a cattle prod. We used to use it for our Red Brangus cattle. And so he came back about a week or two later and had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord. And he's done fabulous. He's got ministry in South Carolina with hundreds of people. 
discipling. But later after I shared with him, I found out his neighbors and his wife had been praying for him and had been sharing with him. He had not had any response. They get credit for the sharing. I get the reaping. It is a process of all the body. There's no, it doesn't depend upon one person. It doesn't. And to be honest, there are times when I should have shared and didn't. And my heart's been seriously grieved. I was too busy. I was not attentive to what God was doing. I was re- uh, occupied on other things. And so I go back to Laura and says, I blew it. But I can still pray for him. You can still pray for them. And the last aspect of this process is teaching. It's teaching publicly. It's teaching house to house. It's teaching in small groups, which I really love. It's teaching one-on-one. It's teaching. And you know, one of the best experiences I ever had teaching was teaching people to teach young kids learning center. We developed our own criteria for putting the material together and those people finally learned to teach. Anybody can teach. That may not be their gift, but anybody can teach. But you must be equipped from your own quiet time. Your own time of Lord. It's got to be first-hand knowledge. Second-hand doesn't quite do it. Well, let's look at some of the applications Now comes the homework. Now comes the homework. Number one, we are all commanded to go and make disciples. It's a must for the local and the university church. But it is a process initiated and led by the Holy Spirit. It is not quick. It's not quick. I'm sorry. It's not quick. It takes time. But it's truly profitable for all. Sometimes there are churches that are close to colleges. And they get discouraged because there's a big movement out of their church every couple of years. That doesn't bother me. i got people to send all across the world. It's an opportunity. Take advantage of where God's planted you. And this church in Oak Ridge has got great potential. As I said, I'd been here several times when Chris was pastoring. Tremendous potential. Bloom where God's planted you. Two, to make disciples, one must be walking with the Lord God, listening to his voice, lingering before him in prayer, leaning forward in obedience will all take time. But God is patient with us. So let us be patient with ourselves. Sometimes we put guilt on, oh, I just can't do that. No, you can. You just need to learn how. Three, make sure your service is for the Lord. Your teaching is in the power of the Holy Spirit and that your evangelism is cloaked with love and gentleness. Don't want to bruise the fruit. 
in your evangelism, don't count numbers. I'm not interested in counting the numbers. What I'm interested in is the people that become disciples and disciple someone else. Then I know they've caught the vision. That's what I want. That's what we should all want. Sow and reap, leaving the results to God. Leave the results to God. I would hear back from students that hear me talk about statistical apologetics years later. The seed's been sown. Four, remember, even Paul got deserted by Demas and others, and Mark became useful to him ten years later. Ten years later. That's great. Don't worry about the ten years in between. God was working. There are some tough acorns. And it takes God time to get him there. Barmers didn't give up to him, so he was somebody who needed more gentle care. Paul wasn't the kind of person to give that gentle care. He didn't have time. The timetable is always under God's sovereign control. Just keep praying. Don't get discouraged. And I got a book uh, this past week from um, my seminary professor. I had a DTS on church history. Name's John Hanna. Neat guy. And I've been reading a little bit of his book, and he made a comment, something like this, not exactly like this. A life directed toward obedience to God comes down to a threesome of no's. We must know our God, and we must know him intimately. We must know ourselves. And we must know our circumstances. And only God can help us in all of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege. I pray for this church that they will be about your business, that you'll give them wisdom on how to pursue and finding a pastor and building ministries, moving towards discipleship and having an impact on this community. Father, may the name of Jesus Christ be lifted up here. In his name we pray. Amen.